All right, we're at the um, Gospel of Luke Bible Study, the Quo Vadis Bible Study. And we're on Day 3 Notes, number 5. Okay, we're in the first half of the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. The angel Gabriel appeared to the Virgin Mary six months later. Yeah, John the Baptist is six months older than Jesus. And they're, and they're cousins. Their mothers were cousins, and you know, so the kids are. And announced that she would be the mother of the Messiah. She was to name him Jesus, which means God saves. Yeah, the name of Jesus uh, in Hebrew, anybody know what it would be? Yeshua. That's Aramaic. Yeshua would be Aramaic. No, his name wouldn't be Marvin. <laughs> You're going to have to come and get your dog, dear. And in in Aramaic, it's Yeshua. In Greek, it's Jesus. New Testament was written in Greek, so that's why it says that. In Hebrew, it would be Joshua. And um, in Spanish, what we got? Jesus. You know, some Spanish people, they name their kids uh, Jesus. They name their kid Jesus. Uh, there used to be, I don't know if there are any more, but there used to be a guy playing outfield in the major leagues. Uh, Jesus Alou. There were three brothers. Can you Three brothers. And they all made the major leagues, and they were all in the same outfield, I think for the San Francisco Giants years ago. All the outfielders were, the, were three brothers. That's awesome. Yeah. That's amazing. But the most amazing thing, sometimes I take detour, the most amazing thing in baseball ever, I know Brandon, you're a sports fan, was Ken Griffey Jr. and Ken Griffey Sr. hitting back-to-back -back home runs for the Mariners, was yeah. it? Mm -hmm. Unbelievable! <laughs> Father and son are both in the major leagues at the same time. They're both on the same team, and they're in the batting order, one right after another, and the one hits a home run, the next one hits a home run right by him. I don't think that's I don't think that's ever going to happen again. That's the most amazing baseball stat ever. Um, but Jesus means God saves, and He's going to save His people. He's going to save those who put faith in Him. Hopefully, He's going to save all of us, right? Mm -hmm. Amen, brother, um, and sisters, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Um uh, Mary asked how this would happen. She said, how can this be? I do not know man. Okay, it's another way of saying, I haven't had any sexual relations with a man. And, you know, she really wasn't even planning on having sexual relations with a man. You say, well, she was betrothed to get married. This is um, a different situation here. From what we know from tradition is that when Mary was a girl, she was taken to the temple for training, and she stayed there for a number of years, and then she came back home, 
and she had grown so close to God that she had dedicated her life as a virgin. And so what's this marriage with Joseph? It seems like it's kind of a, uh, oh, for lack of a better word, a caretaker. He's older. He's going to officially marry her, and she'll be under his protection. But they're not going to have sex. They're not going to have a family. That's not what this was all about. It was a very unusual situation. And in uh, Catholic marriage, you know, we would say that the marriage was never even consummated. You know, to, to have a true valid marriage, you have to consummate the marriage. You have to have at least one act of intercourse until your, your marriage is completely valid in, in Catholic teaching, uh, until it's consummated. And they, have, they never did that. Mary and Joseph never had sex, ever. Not only, the, the scripture is very clear. It says they never had sex before the birth of the baby. But they didn't have sex after the birth of the baby either. Mary is known as the Blessed Virgin Mary. And she's been called that, you know, for 2,000 years. And later, we'll see this in the Gospel, but I'll give you a preview. Later, we're going to hear about Jesus' brothers and sisters. They even name some of them, James and Joseph. Those are his cousins, okay? Um, those are not his blood brother and sister. Now, there is some possibility here. There's not many theologians who think this is the case. But there's a possibility that if Joseph was an older man and he had already been married, he could have had kids. And so it's possible that Jesus could have had some brothers or sisters. I think you would call that, what, a half-brother, half-sister? Mm -hmm. um, but Mary does not have any other children that she gives birth to. She only gives birth to one person. Don't ever let anybody get you confused on that. There are, there are people, especially our Protestant brothers and sisters, who sometimes think that Mary had other kids. Well, because it says in the Gospel, you know, your mother's outside, and your brothers and your sisters are outside, and they want to talk to you. And so we have to understand that. We'll get into that later when that comes up in the Gospel. But Mary only has one child. And she doesn't understand how she can have a baby when she has not had intercourse and she's not planning on having intercourse. How can this be? Since I do not have relations with a man, how can I have a baby boy? Now that's a legitimate question. Um, and Gabriel doesn't take offense. He took offense with Zachariah. <laughs> but he does it with Mary. And he explains to her. He says, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And this child will be conceived by the power of God. Thus the child will be called the Son of God. You know? We say that in baptism, we become children of God, right? Well, does that make us the same as Jesus? Who's the Son of God? No, 
and how we're, the, we're adopted. I don't know if you remember in the creed where it says he's the only begotten son of God. What's that word, begotten? Well, it's an older English word. To beget is the male part of reproduction. The man begets the child. The woman gives birth to the child. So, when they say he's the only begotten Son of God. Okay. He is God by nature. Okay. Uh, we are the children of God by adoption, not by nature. When we were conceived and born, we were born in original sin, weren't we? But we were adopted into God's family through baptism, where the Holy Spirit was given to us, God's grace was put in our soul, and we came alive spiritually. And so we are adopted children of God, but Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. He is God by His very nature. You mean when Jesus was an unborn baby in Mary's womb, He was God? What do you say, Ivan? Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> you know, he's a little baby in the manger in Bethlehem. That's God? Yeah. It is amazing. It's just mind-blowing that God humbled himself, as St. Paul says in Philippians. He humbled himself and took the form of a slave. You know. He emptied himself of his divinity, so to speak, and took the form of a human being. So, throughout his life, Jesus is God. Well, what do you think, Luke? Is he a human? He'd have to be. Yeah, he, he has a human nature. You cut him, he bleeds. He works hard, he gets tired. Okay? He gets hungry. He has a real human nature, exactly like our human natures. But he's a divine person. We are human persons, okay? Person is who you are. Nature is what you are. So who is he? He's God. What is he? Well, he has a human nature, but he also has a divine nature. Now, what's the divine nature look like, Brandon? The divine nature, well, I don't know, there's a spot there, but uh, I mean, divine nature, I mean, it's just, I don't know if you're really talking about like his wisdom that he shows, like as a, I'm not really sure. God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. What form are they in? Starts with an S. Spirit. God is spirit. And Jesus was spirit too. All three persons of the Trinity, today's Trinity Sunday, all three persons of the Trinity were spirits. But the second person of the Trinity took on a human nature. This is where it happens. This is called the incarnation. When Mary says, yeah, 
Okay, let it be done unto me according to thy word. Instantly she becomes pregnant. The eternal word, Jesus is the eternal word. Remember John's gospel? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh, and he dwelt among us. Well, the word becomes flesh when Mary says yes to God. And so God, who is spirit, <coughs> took on a human nature. Did he stop being God? No. So Jesus is God, and he's also man. We say it every Sunday in the creed. God from God, light from light, true God from true God. Begotten, not made. Okay? And then a few lines later, and he became, he was born of the Virgin Mary and became man. So he is true God and he's truly has a human nature. Alright? So this is what's happening here when, when Mary says yes. So the angel says, this is going to be the Son of God. God is going to make you pregnant. Now, put yourself in that place. Well, you're talking to an angel, so I guess you can believe me. You're talking to, but if anybody else tells you, you know, God's going to make you pregnant, you know, like, what? This would be very hard to believe. This would be incredible. You wouldn't believe it. But if you're talking to an angel, you know, and, and Gabriel tells her, Nothing's impossible with God. It seems impossible, doesn't it? And it seemed that way to Mary. She said, your cousin Elizabeth, she who never had a kid before in her life, she's now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And so, Mary hears it, and Mary believes it. This is why Mary is the model of all Christians. She hears God's word, and she believes it. She puts faith in it. You know? Later, when she visits Elizabeth, Elizabeth will say, Blessed are you who believed what God spoke to you. Mary believed it. It seemed impossible, but Mary believed it. We have to do You know, you guys are young and you believe, and that's awesome. There'll come times as you go through life, and, and you'll wonder, is this stuff all true? You know, it will. You, you're looking there like, that host, that's really God? I mean, you receive at communion, man, that really God? And, you know, thoughts will come to your mind, and I hope you'll always have faith. Yeah, I believe it really is God. Throughout your life, constantly be making acts of faith. Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I believe in you. Make acts of faith like that every day, 50 times a day. You, you know how you build up those big muscles? You go to the weight room and you pump iron, you know, and... And these guys, they get totally ripped, you know, a lot like me. 
<laughs> and uh, it's just repetition, repetition. And when you repeat, it, just tell Jesus, I believe in you. I believe every word you spoke. I believe in your love for me. It's, it just makes your faith stronger as you go through life. And so Mary says yes. Mary submitted her will to God's. And that's what life is all about, my folks. Submitting your will to God's will. Jesus does it in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, not my will, but your will be done. He didn't want to suffer and die on a cross. He didn't want to be tortured to death. Nobody would. But he says, Father, if this is your will, okay, I'll do this. And I guarantee you, you're going to have tough things in your life. There are going to, there's going to be difficulties in your life. Everybody has them. And some people have much more difficult things than others. But everybody's going to have some suffering of some kind. And can you say yes to God at that moment? You know? That's the thing. It's easy to follow Jesus when it's all cake and ice cream, you know? <laughs> but it's not so easy when you're in the desert and there's nothing to eat. And you got to say yes to God when it's hard. I mean, there'll be, you know, you get the news your husband's been killed in a car accident. Or your child has got leukemia. Or your wife's got ovarian cancer like mine had two years ago. I mean, your business goes bankrupt that you worked so hard at for years. Somebody lies about you. And you get put in jail. I mean, can you imagine that, being put in jail for a crime you didn't commit? And we all know that happens, doesn't it? Wow. Wow. And to be able to say, okay, God, I accept this cross that you've given me. Yeah. It's uh, Mary's future. Did she understand everything that was going on? Not at all. It says she pondered these things in her heart. And you're going to ponder things throughout your life. What should I do? Why did this happen to me? And I, I would tend to tell you, I, the, the advice I would give you is don't ask why too much. In fact, don't ask it hardly at all. Even if God told you, you wouldn't understand it. Our life, our lives are like a tapestry, and each one of us is a thread. And if you ever saw a tapestry from the front, it's got a picture, right? Like the dogs playing poker, <laughs> and we've all seen that one. But if you look at it from the back, it looks like nothing. It's just a bunch of strings, and it just looks total chaotic. And we're looking, we're looking at life from the back. We don't understand. God has this great plan. Or, or it's like life is a parade going by and there's a, little, there's a wooden fence, there's a, there's a knot hole in the fence and he gets his eye up there and he sees, he sees the elephants go by and he sees the, the, the jugglers go by and 
and he sees the band go by, and, and he sees one thing at a time. That's kind of how we're experiencing life, one thing after the next. But God is outside of time and space. When God looks at that parade, it's like he's in a helicopter above the whole thing. And he sees the beginning of the parade and the end of the parade and everything in the middle. He sees it all at once. So God knows exactly where we fit in to his grand scheme. And believe me, it's much more complicated than any of us could ever, 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 ever know. So, don't ask why so much. Just ask God for the grace to say yes. That's what Mary did. She submitted her will to God's will. I am the servant of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Now, some translations have, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Have you ever heard that? I am the handmaid of the Lord. Well, the handmaiden was the, I guess in those days, they would have servants in the house and they have rank. And the handmaiden, from what I understand, was the lowest one in the house. Isn't that like Mary? She says, I'm the lowest servant you have, God. I'm the lowest of the low. I'm the handmaiden. Let it be done to me according to your word. Jesus will often say, and we'll see this later in the gospel, if you humble yourself, God will exalt you. But if you exalt yourself, you brag on yourself, God will humble you. Look at Mary. She humbles herself, even calling herself the handmaiden. She puts herself at the very lowest. And of course, what is she now? She's the greatest. She's, she's the greatest of all the saints. Of all the saints in heaven, of all the human beings in heaven, Mary's the greatest. This is called, in Latin, fiat. And I don't know if I put that in the... I don't think I put that in the vocab. But uh, that's her fiat. And you may hear that name. You may hear that word in Latin, fiat. I think there's a car brand out there <laughs> called fiat. Yes. But it, it means yes. You know. And... There was a band years ago, you've heard of them, the Beatles, and Paul McCartney sang Let It Be. You ever hear that song? I love that song. You know, when I hear that song, I think of Mary. In the, in the song, he even says, Mother Mary comes to me speaking words of wisdom, let it be, let it be. And I thought, man, the Beatles are singing about the gospel here. The Beatles. But that's not true. I heard Paul McCartney explain it one day. I think Mary was one of the Beatles' mothers. I don't know if it was his mom uh, or one of the other guy's mom. And they were having some problems, you know, and they were just sitting around talking. And her advice was just, you know, don't get too jazzed about it. It's going to be okay. And so, rats. Here I thought the Beatles were singing about the, the gospel, about Mary accepting uh, the motherhood of Jesus, but it was just his mom giving advice. But, you know, if you don't know the backstory, hey, every time I hear the song, I think of Mary saying yes to God. And I, I, I really do like that song. 
Now we got vocab. Let's go over it, guys. From this first half of the first chapter, we got Zechariah. He's uh, a Jewish priest, and he's the father of JB. And um, I call him JB. We're tight. You know, he's John the Baptizer, kind of like Kermit the Frog, okay? He's John the Baptizer. Um, Elizabeth, she's the wife of Zachariah. She's the mother of John the Baptist. She's a cousin of Mary. Incense, it says that he was in the temple offering incense. Well, we still use incense today, don't we, at church? It's supposed to, what's the incense at church supposed to represent? Hmm, not so much. Nice try, though. <laughs> um, in the book of Revelation, it talks about an angel offering bowls of incense to God. And it says, which are the prayers of the saints going up to God. That's what the incense is supposed to symbolize. Our prayers are going up to God, and our prayers are delightful to God. God loves our prayers. They smell great. Now, the symbolism only works if you think incense smells good. There's a lot of people who don't like the smell of incense, and there are other people who love it. I happen to love it. I, I really like the smell of incense. How many, anybody in here doesn't like it? Can't, you can't out. you can't take it no, yeah just too much yeah when I ask a classroom I'll get at least a third of the hands say I don't like the smell of it at all and others they say yeah I like the smell but it that's the thing you're supposed to like the smell and then it symbolizes your prayers going up to God which God delights in yes and Dr John Wood uh, when he was at Versailles he was giving a talk he's talking about incense and he said one of his little daughter was like five year old said she loves the smell of incense and said, Daddy, I can smell the saints praying. Oh, that's exactly it. That's, that's from yeah. Revelation, you know. The, the bowls of incense represent the prayers of the saints, yeah. So that's what it's supposed to be. That's what it's supposed to... So when you go to Mass next time, you know what's happening there when we use the incense. Um, if there's some amorphous essence of God associated with it, I don't know. I'm not that smart. Um, John the Baptist, cousin of Jesus, he prepared the way. He preached repentance. Messiah means anointed one. Anointed with the Holy Spirit. Anointed with the power of God. In the Old Testament, they would anoint priests, prophets, and kings. And you, my friends, have been anointed a priest, prophet, and a king. You know that? When did that happen? At baptism, at baptism, the priest took holy oil and he anointed you a king, a priest, and a prophet. Let's look at those three things. What does a priest do? A priest offers sacrifices. What does a prophet do? A prophet speaks God's word. And what does a king do? A king serves his entire kingdom. By being their leader. So, you should offer yourself as a sacrifice to God. 
You should always be spreading God's word in everything you do and everything you say. And you should be a person of service, serving everyone. All right? Once a king or queen in Narnia, always a king or queen in Narnia, right? <laughs> uh, if anybody has read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and, and uh, C.S. Lewis, all those books, yeah. did you like them? I love them. I love them too. My mom and dad used to read it to us when we were little. I read them over and over. With my oldest one, Maria, I read all seven books. And then and I started with Ruth, and I thought, i got to double up on this. i got seven kids here. Um, and then I started reading to two or three of them at a time. But uh, I have to say, my oldest one, Maria, was so intelligent. And she got it. I don't know how old she was, three or four years old. She understood all the symbolism instantly. It was amazing. I, I was totally amazed. Um, so, Jesus is the anointed one. He's the priest, the prophet, and the king. Okay? He is the eternal priest, prophet, and king. <laughs> Gabriel, oh, maybe I should go back. The Jews were expecting a king like David to be their savior. This is why in the gospel, Jesus says over and over, don't tell anybody who I am. Don't tell them I'm the Messiah. Why would he say this? Because they would have gotten the wrong idea. They were expecting a king, a warrior king, like King David. The Messiah, one of his titles was Son of David. You know, he's going to be like David. Well, Jesus was a son of David. Through both Mary and Joseph, he was in the house of David. But, um, and, and, and God had promised that one of David's sons would always be seated on the throne. Well, that is fulfilled through Jesus, who is the King of Heaven, and the king of this world, and always seated on his throne for all eternity. But, Jesus is not going to be an earthly king. When Pontius Pilate said to Jesus, are you a king? And Jesus said, yeah, I'm a king, but my kingdom is not here. If my kingdom were of this world, my subjects would be fighting to save me from being handed over to the Jews. As it is, my kingdom is not here. So Jesus is not an earthly king. And that's what the people of that time expected from the Messiah. Somebody's going to lead them in warfare, make Israel great, throw off the power of the Romans. You know, some sort of political earthly king. So Jesus, he would say, don't tell them I'm the Messiah. Because they, they won't understand it yet. Things have to happen first. I have to suffer, I have to die, I have to rise, and then they'll understand that my kingship is not a political kingdom here on this earth. Gabriel, one of the four angels named in the Bible. We named them all last week. You remember? Raphael. Raphael. Gabriel. Lucifer, the bad one, and Michael. 
That's right. Those are four angels that are named in the Bible. There are many, many other angels. We don't know how many, and there are different ranks of angels, but uh, those are the four that are named in the Bible. The Most High, that term was in the, in the Gospel, the Most High. That's a term for God, okay? Uh, the Annunciation, a term which refers to when Gabriel made his announcement to Mary. This scene, now, you guys... You probably pray the rosary at least sometimes, maybe all the time. When you pray the rosary, I don't know if you know how to pray it or not, but when you pray the rosary, the idea is to be meditating. You're supposed to be thinking about the scene. Okay? You're not thinking about the words of the Hail Mary. You're saying ten Hail Marys. And the mystery that you're meditating on it's almost as if the verbal Hail Marys and the moving of the beads in your hand, it's almost a way of just calming yourself and distracting yourself from other things of the world so that your mind and your spirit can focus on that mystery. So what do you have to do to be able to pray the rosary well? You have to know what the mysteries are. Okay, so as we read Luke's Gospel, you should really come to know this scene and, you know, the things that go on there. The angel Gabriel coming and John the Baptist, the prediction of him and, and Mary giving her fiat, giving her yes. These are all things that you're meditating on. You're thinking about these things as you pray that mystery of the rosary called the Annunciation. And that's the way it is with all the mysteries. So, to really pray the rosary well, a person has to be very familiar with the Gospels, don't you? To think about those mysteries, you've got to know what's going on there. You know, you don't have to look it up. Yeah, I know what happened there, and I think about it. And that's how you pray the rosary well. Our lessons today, God's voice comes to those who listen for it. Um, Mary is a young woman. How old is she? Do we know? We don't know for sure. What do most theologians guess about how old is she when, Angel, when Gabriel comes to her? 14 or 15. Yeah. 14 or 15 years old. She's just a young woman, young girl really. Today, you might say a girl, 14, is like a freshman in high school. She's like a freshman or sophomore in high school. Only in those days, as it was even 100 years ago, people grew up a lot faster. Today, we have extended childhood forever. I mean, we got people in their 20s, their late 20s, and they're still in college. They're still getting their education. They're still preparing for a career. You know, and they're, they're 28, 29 years old. You go back enough centuries, the average lifespan wasn't that long. In, 18, uh, in the 1820s in England, the average lifespan was 17 years. There was so much pollution, there was so much disease. Living conditions in England were so bad in the early 1820s, that for the working man, the guy who worked in a mine or a mill or something like that, 17 years old was the average lifespan. You better grow up fast. Some good years. 
<laughs> because your life is going to be over very quickly. And so um, they grew up quicker, no doubt about it. But she's 14 or 15 years old. That's what most people think. And um, she's been praying. She went to the temple. She spent years there. So when God speaks to her, when God sends the angel Gabriel to her, she's been prepared for this. Not completely prepared, but she is prepared. If you pray, God will speak to you. I once, I've had a lot of extraordinary spiritual things happen to me. And once there was a guy... It's a long story. I can't give you all the background. But he said to me, and he was kind of disgusted, like, well, God doesn't, God doesn't talk to me the way he talks to you. Well, um, maybe it's because that guy didn't pray. You know, if you spend time praying. Now, time is something we don't have enough of. Brandon's very busy this year. He said, I just don't have enough time. i got to do this and do this and do this and do this. I heard you say that. But you know what? There's 24 hours in a day for all of us. We all have the exact same amount of time. It all depends on what are we going to do with that time. Now, some of that time should be given for prayer, right? I don't know if you have a personal prayer time. There is nothing greater that I could get you guys to do than to have your own personal prayer time every day. This, it's like breathing for a Christian. I can stop breathing for a while. <laughs> but I can't stop for very long. If you're going to follow Jesus, you can stop praying for a while. But you can't stop for very long. Do you pray all day? You should. You say, how can you pray all day? You can. St. Paul says, pray unceasingly. You can. You can start your day, offering your day up to God. And you can walk with Jesus throughout the day. Now, I've got it really easy. I mean, I've got it really easy. I teach scripture all day long. I teach the Catholic faith to, you know, students in high school all day long. So I'm talking about God. I'm talking about religious things all day long. That's what I do for a living. Okay? So I've got it really easy. But when I'm cutting the grass, when I'm doing the dishes, which I have to do after you guys leave, um, I'm not far away from God. My mind goes to God. Does your mind go to God every hour? No, just automatically. Do you think about something about God or... Like, something religious, or you see the world in a religious way. I try to, yeah. Yeah, and, and your mind just naturally goes. It, I don't think about Anne every hour of every day, but 
but God. But I, but I am married. But I'm married to her every hour of every day. And is there ever a moment when I think I'm single? No. Not since November 24th, 1978. There's never been a minute when I thought I was single. I may not be thinking explicitly about her, but I know that I am married to Anne. And that changes how I see everything in the world, doesn't it? It certainly changes how I see every female in the world. Right? Because none of them are my wife except her. Now, when you've given your life to Christ, and I assume that you have, you have we all done that? Have you all surrendered your life to Jesus? If you haven't, you better do it today. Okay? <laughs> Once you do that, well, my life is in God's hands. And it changes how I see every single thing that happens. Everything that happens is different. I see it in a different light. You'll never see yourself again as something other than a child of God. So it's like the worst thing happened today. Yeah, I'm still a child of God. I'm still on my way to heaven. Jesus still loves me. You know? Like, how bad can it be? How bad can it be? A couple years ago, Ann goes to get her annual physical, and they find she's got ovarian cancer. You know, they, they ended up taking a tumor out the size of a bowling ball, they said. She started to look like she was pregnant. You know, it's ridiculous. And stage 3C, which is the closest you can get to stage 4, I mean, it's not the greatest news. It's about a 50-50 life or death when you get that news. And... Um, Anne says she took that in. It's like, well, about 50 percent chance I'm going to die from this, and about 50 percent chance I'm going to at least live for a while. And she said, you know, if I die, well, I'm, I sure expect I have faith in God, and I'm going to heaven to be with Jesus, and that'll be awesome. And if I live, well. I'm here with my loved ones, and I go on being grandma, and go on being mom, and, and wife, and doing the things I love here. And she came to the conclusion, I can't lose. I win either way. <laughs> you know, it's a win-win situation. And that's how she faced cancer. Win-win, baby. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's true. She didn't have, like, a bad day. Ever. Well, she's married to me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but she's married to God. She's married to Jesus. She's given her life to Christ, and so there's not a bad day ever. The day you die is a great day. The day you live is a great day. So, it changes everything. So... You've got to pray. You've got to listen. And God will speak to you. 
I've had God speak to me very profoundly. But it's because I've taken time to listen. I've taken time in private prayer to ask. Years ago, um, I just thought God had something else for me to do. And I asked him every day, Lord, I was taking an hour for my morning prayer. In those days, I was taking an hour for my morning prayer. At different times in life, you got to do your personal prayer time differently. Sometimes you do it in segments, like you get 10 minutes here, you get 15 minutes there, you get a half hour there. It all adds up, okay? But at that moment in my life, I was taking like a one-hour block of time early in the morning, and I would read scripture, and I would uh, uh, say my prayers of different memorized prayers and stuff, and I would talk to God. And one of the things I did every morning, every morning I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because I thought, he, I just felt inside me that he, he had a different job for me. I was working with the mentally handicapped at SNH Industries which is a great, wonderful ministry. But I thought he had something else for me to do. And I asked that question every day. For over a year, for over a year, I specifically asked a question. What do you want me to do? And I heard nothing. And then on May the 18th, 1981, as I sat in my chair that morning and I said, God, what do you want me to do? As clearly as I'm speaking to you, God spoke to me and said, I want you to go to Layman High School and teach religion. <laughs> it was like a loudspeaker out of the ceiling, you know. I was so shocked. I answered back and I said, you've got to be kidding I'd been asking the question for over a year. When he finally answered it, I didn't like the answer. <laughs> I said, you've got to be kidding. And there was no more voice. Now, how did I hear that? Because I asked, I asked, I asked. Pray. In your prayer, God can speak to you, especially through reading the Bible, through reading the Gospels. God can speak to you. But you got to let him speak. If you're younger generation, you're probably the most uh, distracted generation in the history of the world. You've got all these devices. I walk into school and I mean, everybody's plugged in. They got the earbuds going, you know, they're jamming to the tunes or whatever. And how is God ever going to speak to you? You know, I, I don't know if it still happens on the phone. I think it does. It used to be something called a busy signal. You called somebody <laughs> and you got a busy signal. They were talking. Now I guess your phone lights up and you can talk to two or three people at the same time. But not so in the old days. You got a busy signal. The, the, their phone didn't ring. The line was busy. Therefore, did you get to talk to them? Did you get to express your message to them? No. Well, there's a whole lot of people who aren't listening. And when God tries to talk to them, God gets a busy signal. You're busy with everything else in the world. If you're too busy to pray, 
you're too busy. If you're too busy to pray, you're too busy. You know? God is number one. You got to keep a relationship with Him. You can't keep a relationship without communication, and that's what prayer is. You're communicating with God. He's communicating with you. You're communicating with Him. And so private prayer is something that you've got to make a place for it in your life. Jesus did. We're going to see in the gospel, he gets up early. It'll say, Jesus got up early in the morning and went out to a lonely place to pray. He went out by himself to pray. So, uh, do that. Secondly, submission is the first step to greatness. Mary submitted herself. She said, God, I will do your will. And now she's the greatest saint in heaven. When you humble yourself, when you submit yourself, and you know we do that in the Our Father. One of the most basic prayers that you'll ever pray. We'll get to it later in the Gospel. You submit yourself, don't you? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. When you pray that prayer, think about that. Thy kingdom come. I want you to be king of my life. I want your kingdom to come. I want your will in my life. And you really should want God's will. Why? Because he's all-loving, he's all-knowing, and he's all-powerful. Put that baby together. He knows everything. And he can do anything. And he loves you perfectly. He loves you more than you love you. He knows you better than you know you. And he can do whatever you need. Why wouldn't you say, Jesus, you take the wheel. You know, carry... What's it, carry underwood? Yeah. <laughs> you know, take the wheel, baby. Yeah. But you see, you've got to believe it. Do you believe it? I hope you do. You can believe it. Can you trust somebody more than yourself? Oh, people like me. I have always been called like egotistical, kind of a, you know, you're stuck on yourself. The nun in the eighth grade told me, she took me out in the hallway, said, you think you're God's gift to women. Like, whoa, eighth grade. Uh, <laughs> I guess I was kind of stuck on myself and thought highly of myself, you know. And for a person like that, to think somebody knows more than me, it's kind of hard. So maybe you're like that. Maybe you think you know it all. Well, you're past 18. When you're 18, you know you know it all. Okay, I saw a sign once that said, hire 18-year-olds, get them while they still know everything. 18-year-olds uh, <laughs> think they know it all. And it's hard for a young person sometimes, especially if you've got lots of self-confidence, it's hard to, to say somebody else actually knows more than me. I'll give you an example that I can do it, though. 
My dad was a farmer and a carpenter. He built lots of houses. He built lots of houses. I can see several houses right here that my dad built. That one and that one. And, and he built a bunch of houses here in Rushi over the years. And he was a good carpenter. My dad was really good. He was good at it. And so when Ann and I got married, uh, we were renting and we saw a house in Sydney. We are going to thought we'll buy a house and we you know there's lots of houses for sale and there was one in our price range which was cheap cheap and cheaper and um, I said dad could you come over this evening the real estate agents going to show us a house I want you to look at it so we go through the house we go in the basement look at everything and I thought you know this looks like a winner. This, this could be okay. I think we can afford this. We can do this. And we said goodbye to the real estate agent. And then uh, I said, well, Dad, what do you think? He said, forget it. Don't buy this house. I said, what? I thought it was good. He said, you didn't see the foundation in the basement? He said, there's problems with the foundation. He said, you do not want this house. You're going to have problems with that foundation, and that's going to be very expensive to fix. And I never gave that house another thought because my dad, who was an expert on building houses, he said, no, you don't want this house. If he had not been there, I would have bought that house. I thought that house was just fine. But I trusted that my dad knew more about houses than I know about houses. Okay. Does your Heavenly Father know more about life than you know about life? Mm -hmm. So why not trust Him? <laughs> why not put your life into His hands? Yeah. Why don't people do it? Because it's scary. They're scared. They don't have control either. Yeah, they, they, they're scared. Like, you know, I was scared to give my life to Jesus. I won't have any fun anymore. I thought, man. But I did it, and I found out, oh, now I'm really having fun. Now I'm really enjoying life. Now I know what life is all about. Oh my goodness. But I can see why people don't. I know, I know why people don't. They're scared to give up that control. But if I can convince you, if the scriptures can convince you that God is all-knowing, all-loving, and all-powerful, it's a no-brainer. Of course, put your life into His hands. Because He will give you the life. He will guide you to the life that you will find to be the best possible life. Did Mary understand what was happening here? No. But she trusted God. Did it work out for her? Oh yeah. She's the Queen of Heaven for all eternity. I'd say it worked out real well. She had the Son of God for her own child. Wow. That just blows my mind. 
that she had that privilege of that great relationship with God. A relationship like no one else has ever had in the whole history of the world. But how did she get it? By trusting God. God gave her a completely different path than she had ever dreamed of for her life. And she said, okay, I'll do it your way. Oh, man. Oh, man. So, wow, it's 6.30. We're done. We're, we're done with this, uh, we're done with that uh, half of a chapter. I didn't expect to spend that much time on it, but it was good. It was good. Um, when I have a good lesson at school, I always, you know, do a little dab there. <laughs> oh, I tell you. Okay, let's close with prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.